Well, hello world, and welcome to Confluence, the lifestyle where confidence meets influence. I'm your host, Charlie Marcole, and I'm so glad you joined in today. We will talk about so many exciting things, so stay tuned. I'm so happy you're here. What's up, Confluencers? Welcome back to another episode of Confluence, the lifestyle where confidence meets influence. This is a playground to connect a community of women by sharing our gifts, skills, and talents. How in the world are you? Listen, April is here. April is here. April is known for the beautiful spring weather. The Easter Bunny makes an appearance. And as they say, it's cliche, but April showers really do bring in May flowers. Um, But I'm asking the Lord to sprinkle out some more blessings because my flowers need to bloom. This has been a winning month, to say the least. April started out great for me. It did, y'all. I cannot complain. On April Fool's Day, okay, I was totally caught off guard. I received the Red Apple Teacher Award from Ashley Furniture and KHOU. It aired last Tuesday on Great Day Houston with the Deborah Duncan, and I was floored. Totally shocked. Shout out to my mom for nominating me. Let me tell you, life comes a full circle. I'm pretty sure you can tell that I have a degree in communications. And in high school, growing up in Dallas, Texas, I interned and received college credit as well high school credit for the Belo Corporation. And who worked on, I believe the show was Good Morning Texas. She was a host. Her name was Deborah Duncan. So when I first initially meet her, I am a high school student. And now in 2021, I had the honor of receiving the Red Apple Teacher Award in the city of Houston. Go figure. I have posted all of the news feed and buzz on my social media. So check them out. Of course, you know, I am Charlie Marcole on every social media platform. I tell you every week, confidence and influence should be a part of your lifestyle. So for me, this is Huge because in 2021, I definitely want to walk it like I talk it. And I know I say I am an educator all the time, but y'all, I really am an educator. I'm like, like not playing by this. So, you know, and I don't like to bring it into this platform, but I realized after that aired, they actually all work together. I empower, I inspire, I uplift, I educate, I motivate. It all works hand in hand. I have to be confluential as in my personal and my professional life, right? In my brand and in my business. Hello, somebody. So please go check it out. Speaking of education, It looks very different this year. I don't think that things will ever go back to being the same. As the pandemic has persisted on, students are going back to school in ways they have never done before until this year. In their homes, outside, in classroom wearing masks, not wearing masks, sitting six feet apart, very close, not close, Sometimes behind plexiglass barriers, sometimes not. The pandemic is reshaping 
how we are looking at the education profession. I just did a radio interview talking about it. This week's episode is dedicated to the educators, the mamas, the aunties, the TT, the godmamas, the grandmothers, the people that's helping this machine stay oiled. And because of that, that makes you confluential. In this episode, I sat down with the woman that knows education inside and out, Dr. Stephanie Boyce of Fresh Classrooms. The Fresh Classroom is a platform dedicated to empowering teachers to create classrooms that are fun, relevant, engaging, standards-based, and higher order thinking. Fresh to death. Ladies of Confluence, let's welcome and whoop it up for Dr. Stephanie Boyce of Fresh Classrooms. Whoop, 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 whoop. So tell everybody who you are and what you do. We just start talking. You know, it's good to have you on, Stephanie. (laughs) It is. I I, I remember you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but it is good (laughs) to see you elevate to this new echelon in your life, and I am so excited to see your growth. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, I'm Stephanie Boyce, um, and I am... I'm I'm always thinking about where to start. I'm a a mom. I'm a wife. I'm an educator. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I am a, a a woman of God, just trying to do a whole bunch, <laughs> trying to maximize my time here. So every time I talk to people, they're like, "So what do you do?" I'm like, "Hmm, what do I do?" Um, yeah, that's kind of really the gist of it. Listen, you need to say what I don't do. I do it all. Right. See, see, again, we got to learn how to t- turn that narrative. <laughs> uh, what, what do you do? Tell me what I don't do. Okay? Like, that's right. what you need to learn how to <laughs> just turn that narrative and walk in it. Yeah, yeah. Right you know that. what I'm saying? Like, because people do that. Oh, where are you going to now? Uh, <laughs> wherever the wind blows, that's where I'm going. Okay? Yeah. Honey, don't let it, don't let it throw you. I throw them. You know, you walk out for me and like, oh my God, I shouldn't have asked for that. You're exactly right. I'm with turn you on that narrative that. on you. Yeah, like, girl, you gotta learn to turn that narrative on these people. Mm-hmm. You know, because what it is is that they wish they could or they're looking at you to see how so they can too. And so again, if you so show like, oh yeah, I'm rocking the best I can, you know, in this area of my life, in this area of my life, it gives other people strength to say, oh, okay, you know, if Stephanie can, well, maybe let me put my foot in this water and see what I can do. So they're just trying to get, you know, how, but when we just take it on and be like, girl, you know, like, tell me what I don't do, honey. I do so much, child. (laughs) Yeah, that's the story of our lives, sis. That's the story of our lives. Um, Yeah, so... I'm just really grateful. You know, I feel like I'm in a season of my life where I do a lot, but it's all stuff I pray for, prepare for, uh, ask for. So, you know, it's just like, I I can't complain, but um, I just try to keep it all moving. You know, that's what I'm, that's where I'm at now, especially in this COVID world reality that we in right now. But you have learned how to navigate it in COVID. Like, unlike me, who is sitting idly, trying to figure it out you have like okay i'm gonna do some virtual uh classrooms i'm about to do some conferences virtually Mm -hmm. like at least you are still getting in there and going you didn't stop you know yeah yeah and yeah and you got that fresh classroom you forgot about that you named wife mama no, 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 I said entrepreneur. I, yeah, I said entrepreneur. Yeah, that's my business. The Fresh Classroom. That's that was my first baby. I like to say before I had my actual little girl. Um, and you know, 
the first classroom was a opportunity for me to create a professional development experience for teachers that I wish existed when I was in the classroom. You know what I mean? Uh, so it was my idea towards really decolonizing PD to say like, we can have music, like we can have a good vibe. We can speak formally and informally as we want to dip in and out. You know what I mean? And, um, and we can have a good time and we can also talk about what's best practices in classrooms while we uh, start out with a dance competition, while we use music through our transitions and have really um, just a good time. You know what I'm saying? So I think um, I had to pivot in the middle of COVID because I, all I did was face-to-face -face trainings primarily. But like you said, you know, we have to move and adjust. And so I had to build out the digital course, which was always on my list to do, but COVID kind of just pushed, uh, had to push me past my comfort zone into doing things that were on my list that had to get done. So now I'm working on finishing my book in quarter one of this year. So I can get that to editing and publishing and and have that out this year, but it's kind of like things that you had on your list, like, I need to do these things, they will be good. I feel like that level of discomfort we experienced kind of either pushed you into that next level or it stifled you. And, or in some cases like me, it was half and half. I spent the first part of last year like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? I was like, mm -hmm. oh, my bookings got canceled in March. School's closed. And it was just like, oh, yeah, no bookings. Um, we, we, we good for the rest of the year. We don't need no more PD. And they just shut it down. So, you know, I had to pivot even then. I, I'm the director of the writing program at Paul Quinn College now. That was, I got hired in June because my entire business got shut down in March. And so it's just like, at the end of the day, you can either sit around and complain and moan or wait for the government to save you. Or you can just say, okay, right now in this season, we're about to pivot. I don't know, you know, what's going to come next, but I know, you know, I got to keep it moving. And where I'm from, you, you learn how to survive. And that's what, you know, saying we've been doing in this COVID-19 world. So. Surviving and thriving, that's you know, right. um, surviving is one thing and thriving is another one. Right. Um, so let's talk about the journey. Um, for fresh classrooms, because I, I see it thriving, sis. Yeah, thank um, you so much. Especially now. Um, because um, how we have done education, the face of education. I've been in education in this world since 2002. So education is basically all that I know. That's how I get my bread and butter, buy my house, pay my mortgage, get my cars. Mm -hmm. um, like you say, it's 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 the, the solid. It's my foundation. Right. Um, and I brought you on here because I saw you on a reel. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know how a little kid sees somebody they know on TV and they're like, <laughs> I know her! You're so I know her! <laughs> You know, and so it was like, okay, That's let's talk about this journey because you have been in this world just as long as I have. And we know that this world is going to look different going forward. But how did you begin this journey of fresh classrooms? Well, I guess I started out just by becoming a teacher. You know, um, when I was in undergrad, I had a choice to make in my senior year if I was going to become a teacher or if I was going to go to law school. And I had always been labeled the one in my family that was going to be the lawyer. It was, I always did speech, debate, public speaking, oratory competitions. It was just always Stephanie is going to be the lawyer in the family. And that was something that was heavy on me when I was in college as I started to pivot towards like, I really have a heart for education. And I really have a heart to go and be in these schools. And so I took a year off after I graduated to kind of uh, uh, work. I worked a corporate gig and I just tried to really pray and get direction on what to do before I died. I, I just made a, uh, my next career move. And so I ended up in the classroom, started out down by Houston and Fort Bend ISD at Thurgood Marshall High School. Um, and I, what I learned quickly was um, there was an approach that mattered to me that I did not feel like a matter to everybody around me. So it's like, you know, you're a new teacher, you have passion. You don't really, you ain't really solid on your content just yet, but you got a passion mm -hmm. for the kids and the relationships. And so really the Fresh Classrooms journey started with me in the classroom. Uh, I was a, a, a cheer coach. So I had to spend time with those girls outside of just classroom time. When I uh, moved back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I went back to teach at Lancaster High School, which is where I graduated from. 
um, to bring that same energy and passion and cultural connectedness, really. It's like, I'm from here. So it's a different situation than a teacher that drives from another place to come into our community. I'm of our community. And so when I'm talking about this apartment complex or this or this park back here where people go to fight or whatever it is, I know because I'm from here. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I think having a cultural understanding and then seeing how if I bring in these elements and things that I know about the kids, their backgrounds, their interests into the classroom, not just to know it and build good relationships separate and devoid from the instructional practice. But if I bring the things I know and understand about them into the instruction, then what I saw and what the outcomes were for me was that my students uh, achieved at higher rates. And, and it just only makes sense, right? For any of us, anything that taps into what we already like and what we own and what's in our hearts and what we care about, where we from, like will pique our interest, will sustain our uh, engagement. It's just natural ways that we are as humans. And so I think um, for a long time in education, it's been okay, especially in communities of color, for people to colonize the classroom and, and, and tell students in so many words or no words at all and through policies that their cultural experiences are less than, that they're broke, come from broken communities, um, just because the communities are under-resourced. They, you know, they get told, this is a bad neighborhood, this is a poor school, whatever other kind of negative connotations are used. Title one. Title one, yeah. AKA so, poor so low school. Socioeconomic, yeah, yeah, low socioeconomic mm -hmm. status. And you know, the indication is that you can equate a school and a community of color to a, a underperforming campus. And so I think um, we just are getting to a place now where we have to change the conversation towards like it doesn't just just because you're under resourced doesn't in itself equal you being um, having a lower achievement or lower scores or whatever it is. Uh, in my opinion, in my from my research and my own experience, it's more so to do with the people that are coming into the schools and their ability to connect the content to those students that they serve. And um, so that's mm -hmm. really what the fresh classroom is about. So I started doing a PD when we were seeing success in my department. And then, you know, I teachers started to ask for the training, you know, uh, and, and I hadn't had a lot of experience with teachers requesting additional PD when they were, <laughs> when they were uh, at a conference, yeah. you know. We don't wanna do it. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> like, hey, how about some more professional development session? But that's exactly what was happening when I was doing PD uh, with the teachers. But I know it's because they were getting what I wish I could have received. It's like you know, like, let us just talk, like, let us connect. I'm a processor. So in my trainings, when I, when I am receiving professional development as a learner, I need to dialogue. I need you to give me something, but then let me chew on it and dissect it with the other people sitting around me. Cause I got a brain just like the presenter has a brain. And so um, it's just a lot of layers to it that I wish that existed when I was in the classroom that I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And uh, it's a whole vibe, you know? It's a whole vibe. <laughs> one thing I can't stand is for you to read to me because one of the things that we are evaluated on is the ch you read to the children. Mm. Well, damn it. I'm just like a child in the PD. I, same premise exists. Yeah. Don't read to me. I can read. Actually, I've been reading since I was in the first grade myself. So please don't read to me. I, I can read, you know, <laughs> and I like a PD that has a whole vibe because I'm a whole vibe. I walk in vibing. Yeah, so yeah. when you kill my vibe, I ain't gonna be in. I yeah. ain't gonna be in it. I'm just, I, I, I'm in it to win it when I'm in, but when I'm out, baby, I'm old. Check that. Oh. Call hotel. That's, that's <laughs> Check out. I'm with, hotel, on honey. I'm with you on that one because it's yes. because you have to respect people's time that's what it boils down to if I am going to be required to come and sit in a room well first of all the state is going to say that I have to have a certain amount of hours you know of continuing professional education okay so you're going to require me to do that but then the options that I get are going to be things that are counter uh you know to my culture or you're going to teach me how to further um exist and thrive in a system that has been historically oppressive to people like me. It's like, no, I got to exist and, uh, and, and challenge these systems. I have to be an advocate for the students that I serve, especially those that look like me, um, that don't always get a voice in the process. So 
that's really um i'm with you on that like it, it it has to be but i feel like the other part of that is people have to be taught some things that you don't have to be taught charlotte some teachers have to be taught something that may be second nature to you um uh, what high school did you go to i want to say skyline but i might lie no, I graduated from Dallas Carter. Carter, oh, dang. That, I think that was Ken went to uh, Skyline. Anyway, uh, I, I say, yeah, I, I'm a Dallas Carter. Carter. See, you know a, what I'm another saying? school where people think that's the low socioeconomic. Now that I'm in education, looking back, I really probably could challenge DISD on a lot of things. But another um, school that they thought, what what good can come out of Carter High School? Right. What what good? You know, it's like you know, like Jesus. What good can come from Bethlehem? What good right. can come from Nazareth? What good can come from Carter High School? So <laughs> this one right so here. So much good. So much good. And it's crazy that you say that because so much good. It's like I, I feel like you get a you get a cultural understanding based on what your background is already that some teachers are coming to the table devoid of. And so, especially if you're going into teach in communities of color. And you are, you know, you've never had any real authentic experiences and community and connecting in real ways. Then there are some things that you don't understand that create cultural clashes in the classroom. Um, so you feel like you need to almost over discipline the kids. So then we see those the disparities in our disciplinary numbers. Uh, and, and so it's just mm -hmm. so many um, outcomes that are negative outcomes for our students. And, and I don't like shift blame or shame teachers or whatever. It's like, no, it's not about that. It's about, you don't know unless people put you on. The teacher prep programs are not putting you on the culture. They're not, they're not, that's not what they're gonna do. And so like, it's like, at what point in this process do we pause to say, we have to put teachers on when they come to this school or this campus. Like, this is the culture here. You know, this is what matters to our students. Like we're going to expect that you will connect to them in ways that are deep and meaningful to them and not try to erase their culture or assimilate them into what you think is necessary. Um, and that's kind of a tricky place for some people. I get it. I, I get it. This is your 15 for me. Yeah, I get it. And I see, um, and you know, one reason, matter of fact, I give kids my real cell phone number. Mm -hmm. And oh, yesterday I was sitting here oh, recording Lord. the episode. <laughs> and one of my former kids texted me and said, I feel like I'm going to fail. No. And oh. I said, why do you feel that way? And she said, I wish I could just be back in your class. Oh. And I said, well, life goes forward. Yeah, You got to remember that. We graduate from everything in life. So what you're going to do now, you're in you know, junior high school now. So now you're going to ask, what is the extra credit? Now you're going to, now, because now they see that relationship that I built with them, mm -hmm. like I care, right? And now you're in a, 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 you know, a situation where you have seven teachers, different personalities, diff and so you don't know how to navigate this process right. at all. And, and she said, I thank you. I said, I still want the best for you. Even though you're not mine, you're still mine. Yeah. And so I have a heart for these kids. I get up and I go to the hood every day yeah. because I have a heart for children in the hood because I too was once that kid in the hood. Yeah. And it was a teacher. I could name every teacher that poured into me that changed my trajectory. Mm -hmm. They saw something else outside of Oak Cliff, Texas. You know, they saw bigger and brighter things. I didn't know what it was, but they just kept their hands on me. Mm -hmm. And so I try to be that teacher myself and push those children forward because I see something greater in you. I want you to see something outside the third ward. I want you to, I, I want you to excel. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm telling you, and they like, how did you get out? And I always say education. Yeah. Education. Education. It, it is out of, out of the seven teachers that care, uh, don't care, it's one that care. Yeah. And the one that care, stick close to them. Yeah. That makes sense. And I have to tell you, like, I'm getting to the point now, too, where I'm even starting to to question, um, you know, the ideology that we were given when we were in school, and that's that the objective is for us to leave our communities of color, to go out and find success, and then, you know, like, just go away. When the reality is now, I find myself in a situation where I have done that, right? I went and got an education. I, I went and became a homeowner and bought a home in the suburbs and 
And what I find now being here is that there is not a sense of community uh, in the same way that exists within our Black communities. And so now I'm in a situation where me and my husband are actually looking at a house, uh, looking to get a home in Oak Cliff. You know what I'm saying? And now you go back to the neighborhood. Uh, we looking over there by like Redbird and uh, Polk Hampton over there. You gonna you gonna get a showed up house look, over there, baby. Look. Them houses over there, that's that's a house look. over there. And, and now what our communities getting gentrified, it's like okay, well, we were told we need to get out and go and move to these suburban areas, and that's nothing wrong, you know. It's different strokes for different folks. We need people in the suburbs, we need people in predominantly white areas. We this this fight is all inclusive, but for me and mine, you know, I have a desire to have that community to have big mama across the street. My grandma is deceased. To have someone's big mama across the street that we can look out for and they can look out for us. And you know what I'm saying? Have those roots for my child. And now I look to go to Oak Cliff to buy one of these big mama houses that somebody sells to an investor and they outpricing the hood. You know what I'm saying? And so gentrification coming all up through the hood. And so it's just like, I'm at a point now where it's like, okay, how am, how are we conditioning students to understand it's okay to go off to get your education, to get resources, opportunities, whatever. But then how do we also teach them that it's also okay to come back and bring those resources and opportunities and occupy our own communities and build them so that they aren't always low socioeconomic, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, Title I schools, mm -hmm. if we occupy them and build them. Um, I think that's the next front on the movement that we see happening. Um, and in the wake of summer 2020 and George Floyd and all of the disaster around mm -hmm. that, um, as people start to see these cases, like in Plano ISD, the little black boy gets bullied and forced to drink pee of another student and all these kind of crazy things that happen when white supremacy flares, is, flares up, right? Um, and I think that there is this movement of people um, and ideology shifting towards, well, maybe... Um, our ideas about moving out of our communities and going to other places and um, living amongst other people is not the only way, the only means to uh, liberation for Black folks. So um, I think mm -hmm. that's the next part. I like it. Yeah. I like it because I was going to ask, um, let's talk about diversity, inclusion, and equity, mm -hmm. um, especially training and how necessary, because I know you do it from the classroom to the boardroom. And this has been a year, um, I'm going to just say this, COVID has been a blessing in disguise because it has revealed a lot about the world that people didn't think existed anymore oh, yeah. or we knew it existed but it wasn't to me so mm -hmm. i you know i'm gonna turn i'm gonna stay right. like here because that that wasn't my son right but COVID has said aha exposed exposed you yeah. exposed to you exposed uh-huh and you exposed yeah from the education system all the way down to the justice system we have found out that everybody needs some reformation yeah some reforms need to be on the book yeah how do you feel about the importance of training of educating in the area of diversity inclusion and equity from the classroom to the boardroom? I think um, I think it's one of the most important things people can do. Uh, and I'll say it this way. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article that was mentioning that the, only, the, the best way that we can make sure people have a better understanding about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that we have to do these types of things in the workplace. These types of trainings have to happen in the workplace. So for teachers, you know, so I do this in education, of course, um, this is the workforce for teachers, you know, they get their PD, whatever. But also I've started to get more inquiries into like businesses and nonprofits because they're also in a space where they're saying, you know, we have to prioritize this now. And it's better to have somebody come in to do it that finagles these conversations that knows how to facilitate this kind of thing um, because it's sensitive subject matter for a lot of people and there's also this important thing around power dynamics that people don't consider. 
if you are the principal at this campus and you're about to lead this talk, you're about to lead this work, everybody that you're leading has a prior experience with you. They've seen how you handle people. They've heard you say things to them, be it good or bad, be it racist or not, be it inclusive or exclusive, you have prior experiences with them. And also people that are already in the positions of power within an organization that may wanna lead these kind of things on their own, uh, they also start to realize that it's kind of a fine line with some people in terms of you can have an HR disaster if you come at this the wrong way, you know what I'm saying? And so uh-huh. um, it's, it's just so many layers to it. And then there's a racial dynamic. If I'm a leader that is a white male um, and I'm trying to get, let's say, the people that I'm leading to be completely honest, depending on what that relationship is, you know, people might feel to themselves different. So it's just so many different dynamics and variables that exist that I think it's very important that people be having these conversations. I think the workplace is the perfect place to have the conversations because people are naturally going to be um, in their workspaces with other people. Uh, And we have to have these kind of conversations outside our homes and outside of our kitchen tables. Uh, Part of that is some people won't have any of these conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion within their own home. That's your safe space. You vibe it on, you know, whatever you already know in there. But the workforce is, is to be the place where we are forced to be around other people that are not like us in our family. Um, and so having an opportunity like we do in the first classroom to really have conversations about, um, you know, how mindful, uh, what percentage of the day are you mindful of your racial identity? For instance, this is a question we ask when we do the first classroom approach to um, diversity, equity, inclusion. And people have to think about it. And you'd be surprised to hear people talk about with each other, what percentage of the day they're mindful of their racial identity. I've had uh, people of color say upwards of 90% of the day, I am mindful of my racial identity when I am at work, how, what I'm about to say and how I said it and how I wear my hair or how I dress or what I'm going, is this too much, is this too colorful? Is this whatever it is that they're filtering constantly through this kind of uh, racial filter um, to try to assimilate and be acceptable in the workplace or whatever. And so I think um, diversity, equity, inclusion is so important. <laughs> and not just at this moment, it was always important, but I'm just glad, like, whatever it took to get people to be like, yo, we got to really take yo, a good look at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, been, it's been great in that regard and that people are being forced out of their comfort zone to be like, we got to do something. We got to address this in some kind of way. And so it's definitely necessary. It is necessary and it's actually a little late to the, you know, the, the game, mm-hmm. but I'm happy that it's finally showing up right. um, because a few years ago, the term was cultural responsiveness and people thought I'm, I'm honestly culturally responsive. You know, I've, I've worked in all kinds of schools and, uh, you know, and the thing is people don't understand that. Until you're faced with it head on. You know, um, I remember when I was on a, a praiser level mm-hmm. on an admin team and I was called to come get a student because he didn't have a pencil. Mm. So, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to go get his baby. Mm. I'm going to just bring him a box of pencils. Yeah, I remember bye. this teacher. I'm going to just say that I'm going to say that she was peach. You know, this she was like, peach. and you gave him a box of pencils. Well, you said the problem was a pencil. So then I broke it down to her and I said, you know, let me tell you why some kids actually come to school. It's safety. It's quietness. It's air condition. It's good two meals. If they are the after school pro- uh, program, that's the third mm-hmm. meal. Um, it is friendship. It is a warm, loving smile. It is. And you putting them out yeah. because they ain't got no pencil. Yeah, please. No, honey, you're not culturally responsive. <laughs> I'm, I am Jones. I am. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're not. That's crazy. You cannot relate. So the culturally responsive, that term is starting to slowly trickle out the window and people are starting to say more diversity and inclusion. But I think cultural responsiveness, it's still important. Yeah. Would you agree or would you disagree? I agree um, just because DEI training and culturally responsive teaching uh, aren't, aren't one in the same. So um, there you go. Yeah. 
they're not the same. So when I talk about culturally responsive mm-hmm. teaching practices, I'm talking about getting into the instructional. Um, I'm talking about getting into the instructional, the pedagogy, instructional practice. Like these are practical things that translate into your classroom. We can have a whole conversation training, and we do. Some um, some teachers, uh, some campuses do want to have those like the companies have. Well, we're just going to start with these conversations around what's the difference between race and culture? Uh, what are the, the mm-hmm. different levels of culture? We get into that. Um, what are our experiences, people in the room about, you know, that we've had with race and like hearing each other's stories and really unpacking things that have more so to do with our mindset, our unconscious biases, those kind of things, which is a great start. And even if I'm doing a training on culturally responsive teaching, we still start with that. We might not spend as much time if we're going to get into the culturally responsive teaching, but I'm getting principals now that are saying, let's hold off on talking about the teaching practices. We need to dive into having these crucial conversations right now. And so that's why I just uh, recently just started um, sharing with principals the fresh approach to courageous conversations because some of them are just saying let's hold off on the whole teaching thing let's just lean into the fact that we need our teachers talking about this in a safe space where they know they can you know what I mean like speak their truth and not be judged and not be shamed if they really don't understand some things Um, and so that's kind of the difference really um for me that I see, uh, it, but I think culturally responsive teaching is necessary uh, if you are going to be inclusive. So we talk about uh, why diversity matters, how you can be more inclusive and equitable in your classroom, but then like, how do I translate that into my teaching practice is where those teaching strategies come um, into play. And so I think you take one step and then the other, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what does the future hold for you and Fresh Classrooms? What does the future hold? Um, well, uh, in my mind, my long-term goal, <laughs> my long-term goal is so many things because, you know, Charlotte, I just, I, I'm a visionary person. So the way I'm a global thinker and a visionary person. So what I, what I see is um, a, a movement where, you know, I have a whole team of, PD facilitators that go out and facilitate PD um, that really move this uh, movement forward. Short term, I'm gonna I'm gonna release my book and start to spread the message that way. I've already launched the digital course, and now we're getting back to our face to face trainings now. But the long term is to have a team of people that go out and execute these professional developments all across all around the world. Um, and then my long-term goal is to have the fresh university all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I want to have the fresh university eventually. That's my goal. Um, and the fresh university is kind of like, um, it's a early college high school, a private school funded, uh, for the community and uh, by the community. And so the goal would be that the students would be able to come into the school they would be on campus a couple days a week be at the community college a few days a week they'd graduate with associate's degrees uh, 100% acceptance into colleges of their choice on track to get master's degrees before they graduated based on what their uh, areas of focus are and so um, that's my ultimate goal is to have the first university where I have a school um, where we teach them about ownership and finances and a more holistic approach to the uh, teaching students things that are necessary for survival and and to thrive um, in society as a whole. And so to have that be a place where students can come, learn, grow, and a place where teachers can come for PD kind of housed in that same thing, make it like a a cornerstone of the community where you can have community events and all kind of manners of just dopeness going on uh, (laughs) and teaching kids stuff that matters. So that's my ultimate, ultimate goal. I like it because one thing I think they need to add in schools is because I see it right. Um, I, I took a step back and I'm OK with my step back. Um, I'm no longer on the admin team because I, I, I'm, you know, I like peace in my life. Mm. But being back in the classroom, one thing I feel like children need is that financial 
foundation and it needs to be called financial foundation um not how to live hood rich mm. um especially when we go up in a hood um, mm. um because i too became a victim of this when you don't have much growing up and when you have access to mm. and get access to we don't know how to use our money or utilize our money or know how to flip our money to make our money work for us mm. i think that needs to be a class that is taught in high school how to balance the checkbook what it really looked like but charlanette just pause you know why you should right there and think about this is always my question charlanette anytime we talk about something like this that didn't happen in schools or we didn't know i always ask this one question anytime a law happens whatever who stands to benefit financially when that happens you know what i'm saying like the fact that you saying when we went to these schools, we did not learn anything about financial fortitude, about none of these things. Like, and, and so then my question is to you, who stands to benefit when we don't know what's best for our own financial future? Who stands to benefit? The peach people. Hmm. Listen, at the head of every major because institution. When you are unlearned, right? It's, it it kind of like, you know, when we were on the plantation, we could not read, right? Because when you know better, you do better. You don't exactly. want freedom, right? So now yeah. that I know better, I do better and I strive for yeah. freedom, financially right. free from shackles, right? Because mm -hmm. you can be enslaved in many uh, other areas of your mind. Right. Hello, somebody, yeah. right? And so I don't want our children, you know, to come out with these shackles right. on their ankles, you know, not physical shackles, right, but, right. you know, the representation of it because they just don't know. But the thing is, Charlotte, by the know. time we know, like I, I feel the same. I feel similar to you in terms of you know we we didn't learn the essentials of financial fortitude and and, and uh, financial literacy and all those kind of things. So as an adult, you really have to seek out, find, learn, and understand some things that you didn't understand when you were younger. The thing is, you know, people feel like all oh, that information is available. Like that's not an excuse. You should know. Blah blah. blah. I feel like by the time we get to the point to try to start understanding, we're already behind the eight ball because we already have debt, i.e. shackles, um, in the meantime, mm -hmm. that brought us to this. Say, I want to live a better life than this. Like, what else is there? Like, how can I, like, do better than this? How can I stretch my money? And how can I, by the time we got to the point, and for me, that was in my 20s, um, you know, lucky for me, I had bought a couple of houses because I felt like it was important for me to not pay rent and to, you know, have a mortgage or whatever. But even then, I was straddled with so many student loans that it's like, well, dang, by the time I get to the party, starting to learn about what matters for financial literacy and whatever, I'm already behind the eight ball because now I got these chains I got to get rid of. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So all I can do is try to put my child in a position to where she won't, well, she can learn whether they're teaching you in school or not, but, you know, they will, the school we put her in. You know, I have to teach you at home what it means. I have to bring you with me when we're going to look at property um, to make a decision about a house. I have to let you sit at the table when we're having conversations about finances and how we run this budget out this week. And, oh, you got to pay for such and such next month. So we're going to add that into the budget. I have to show you what it looks like to build a budget. I have to take you to the bank to open a bank account. Like all of these things I have mm -hmm. to do to teach my child so she doesn't end up behind an A-ball like me. And it's just like mm -hmm. the schools should do better, but then outside of them doing better while we try to fix that internally and externally we got to make sure our kids get what they need you know what i mean for the next generation yeah. so yeah it's a lot it is a lot it's a lot it, it, it's a lot but i appreciate people like you that's you know creating these spaces and opportunities to create platforms and pd so people can learn so they can know better going forward yeah. you know like because again you could be the stick in the mud or you could use the stick in the mud as leverage to get up out of that place right right yeah <laughs> right so okay tell everybody where they can find you so they can book you for pds or get on the fresh class tip mm -hmm. and be a part of your movement sure they can visit thefreshclassroom.com um, we're also on Instagram or Facebook at Fresh Classroom and Twitter at Fresh underscore Classroom. 
Um, so yeah, they can sign up when they go to our website. It'll ask them to sign up for our email list. Um, we do teacher giveaways. We gave away a trip last year for spring break. I think it was. We do uh, freebies every now and then. We do uh, communication, letting them know what's coming up and what we got going on. And um, yeah, that's it. And you have a team helping you with that. Helping me with which part? The 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 first classroom. Uh, you do you have a team? Or are you doing that? Just uh, stuff I, on I our own. Solely do it alone, and then I have people that I contract with. So I have a team, uh, but it's kind of like more. It's me primarily, and then I contract with other people uh, for services that I need. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And how was the real? Tell me how was the real <laughs> doing the real. The real was good. You know, I would have much loved to be in person and sit at the table with them. <laughs> But uh, it was good. Um, I was blessed to be able to have the opportunity to share uh, the business with them. You know, education, educators in general, we don't just get applause or thanks or whatever. We just do the work because it needs to be done for kids. Um, so it was um, it was refreshing in that regard. I've been educated for a long time. Um, to have somebody want to feature what you do on the TV show is like, for real? Y'all going to talk about this? <laughs> you talk about education? So um, it was good in that regard. I felt blessed to be able to share and um, blessed for the people that reached out after seeing it. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, it was good. It was a good day. It was a good day. In the words of Ice Cube, yeah, today was a good day. Good and day. I was extremely proud because I remember you coming into my office ah! uh, many moons ago. Ah! You know, and asking, how, how can I graduate? I want to make sure I stay on track Baby. and get this together. Oh, let me just say, this. Me say this. You, know, you might not know how you bless my life as my advisor when I majored in psychology, but let me tell you this as a type A personality, I was first generation college student. All I knew was that I needed to, I it was just me, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just me. My mama didn't know what to tell me, how to nothing, she was there for moral support. Uh, but she didn't know how to navigate within the institution. And we have to have people on the inside of institutions to take the hand of otherwise ambitious um, youngsters and say, let me show you the way. And I feel like that's what you did. So what I needed was what you gave me. I needed a checklist that shows me like this semester, you can take these, check off these courses, check off these courses, like literally that hand holding um, I needed that as a resource. And had I had an advisor that was just like, yeah, just kind of da 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 da, and, and not really like showing up like I feel like you did, I felt like you saw me. And because you saw me, mm-hmm. that mattered to me. And I knew you were there if I needed to come in and be like, okay, well, this and this, and and, and, and does this look good? Like I signed up for my classes. Does this look right? Like, did I do it good? <laughs> like, I don't know. But like, whatever you need, like having somebody stand in the gap. And that's what I try to be now. You know what I'm saying? I'm at Paul Quinn College um, and uh, where I direct the writing program. So I meet with students, help them with their writing. Uh, and then at U of H, I teach the intro to African-American studies now. And I'm always mindful. Anytime a student reaches out, you know, if it's something outside of my regular duties or responsibilities, like I'm always open because I already know, like some kids need a little extra uh, guidance along the way. It's not that they're lacking you know, passion or that they're lacking motivation. They just don't know <laughs> how to navigate institutions. They just, they just don't, don't know. know. But if we know and, and we navigate a uh, predominantly uh, PWI, yes. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we mm-hmm. were girls from the South side of Dallas, like, you know, and I remember being you coming in like, okay, listen, and I was not a first generation college student my mom was but it was still the pressure because it wasn't that many after yeah. mama you know what I'm saying so it was like okay we looking at you you know and I'm like okay all right I knew that I don't know what I got to do but I know I got to come out of here with some kind of degree and uh, that's another class I'm gonna create one day mm-hmm. like how to do college don't let college do Ooh, you stop getting good. done children stop getting done good. and you know I I because I needed that. So I remembered what I needed when I was on the other side of the desk. So I became what these kids needed. So, which, you know, 
ushered itself into what I do in my everyday life and what I do in my outside life. I empower, I inspire, I hold your hand, I help you through, help you see your worth. I know you can do it. I'm pushing you. I got some cheerleader. So that that just made my heart warm. Yeah, that made my heart warm too. I I don't know why I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that Um, uh, at the top of my mind. We were talking about this, but you know, and then, you know, you was a Delta, then uh, the other Deltas was running stuff on the yard. It was like, you know, quite naturally, that, that had to come next. Because it was like, you know, so, yeah, so now you're my sister forever. I, 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 and, and girls that I liked, I put ah! on. Oh, for real. <laughs> I remember being like, well, now you can't talk to her about it. You don't supposed to say nothing. Uh, do I try to tell her? Should I not tell don't her? Don't say, say nothing. Just, mind don't, just go don't to the event you. and... Uh, <laughs> Just, just, just don't ask no questions. Just, just go to the event. Make know, sure they know you're I, interested. I know how that chapter works. Say hi to everybody. Make sure they know you're uh, interested and to go on your business. So, yeah, but I appreciate you uh, for taking time to talk to me. Um, I, I love what you're doing and your work and your heart and your passion. And so uh, I'm always proud of you. Always proud of you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. No problem. And there that is. Thank you so much, sis, for the interview. Steph, you know I got you. I am so proud of you, too, and the work that you are doing. The real Paul Quinn College and the University of Houston continue to conquer the world, sis. Ladies of Confluence, please go like, follow, and share in the journey. And if you are in the education field, getting ready to plan your PDs for the upcoming year, please check her out and the Fresh Classroom brand. Can we say 2021? Yes, I am ready to win. And I hope you are too. Well, That's it for me this week. I'm off to update this media kit of mine and add Red Apple recipient to my list of achievements. But I have a question for you. What's on your list of things to do? Even though it's not Christmas, make a list and check it twice. It's time to get some things done. I feel it. We are coming out of this pandemic. Until next week, be a contagious influence everywhere you go because confluence should be a part of your lifestyle. Smooches, confluencers. Oh yeah, don't forget because I didn't. Be sure to get your copy of my new book, Dick in a Headache from Amazon. Amazon.